You are listening to the Resonate Church Sermon Podcast. Resonate is a collegiate church planning network in the Northwest. If you'd like to learn more, please visit us at resonate.net. Hello, brothers and sisters. It's good to be with you. My name is Ted Wolf, and I am our site pastor over in Ellensburg. It's my joy to be with you to bring the word before you today. We have been traveling through a sermon series entitled The Life You've Always Wanted, and thus far have looked at faulty foundations over the last couple weeks and seeing that Jesus actually is the only firm foundation that we can build our lives upon. Money, career, social status, or social comparison are terrible foundations to build our lives upon amongst the other things in our world. These foundations are sand. They will crumble. They are fleeting desires. A self-worth defined by social status will eventually, eventually crumble. A life built on money and career and success and status will eventually crumble. The only foundation that we can build our lives upon that is steady and firm and unfading is Christ himself. He's the only solid rock that we can build our lives upon. And when you build your life upon Jesus, you see money, career, friendships, and image lived in light of knowing Jesus. It allows you to steward what you have and to steward your life for his glory. But here's the temptation. So if we've talked about the sand and the faulty foundations and how those don't satisfy, and we're looking to build upon the firm foundation of Jesus, here's the temptation that we face after we come to know Jesus. The enemy wants us to believe, okay, Jesus, you have saved me now, but now it's my turn to try really hard. It's my turn to try to be like you, Jesus. Jesus, you've given me salvation, but now I must do to maintain my right standing before you. I got to try to be a good Christian. This is the temptation that we face. And what I want to say to you specifically, what I want to say to you clearly is this is the farthest thing from the truth. And if I'm being honest, this is a very temptation that I, and honestly, most Christians walk in and struggle with. So the question I want to ask and answer today. The question that I want to ask and answer today is what is the Christian life really? What does it mean to actually build upon Jesus? Not just have him as that foundation, but to build our lives upon him. Is the Christian life one of just a to-do list of things that we're supposed to carry out? I hear about this word transformation. What does it mean to be transformed by Jesus? I submit to you, when we experience Jesus truly, and follow him truly, we will experience a life of freedom, joy, peace, and love. We will experience the life we have actually always wanted and really the life that we were made to have. In John 15, Jesus shows us what it means to actually build our lives upon him. He paints a picture for what it means to experience him and to be transformed by him. Uh, Honestly, this section of scripture is one I come back to often uh, asking, am I really abiding in Jesus? Am I remaining in him? Not in like a fearful way, but really looking at my life and going, am I experiencing the power of the spirit? Am I actually walking by grace or am I just doing the Christian thing? Am I just checking the box? Am I just reading the Bible to read the Bible, praying just to pray, going to church just to go to church, etc.? Our questions today that we want to answer are why do we need to abide in Jesus? And what does it mean to do so? 
This will give us our answer for what it means to build our lives upon Jesus. So go ahead and turn to John 15, and we'll start in verse 1. The setting of the scripture is, uh, is Jesus with his disciples before he's about to be crucified. Uh, he's in the upper room where he's teaching many things to his closest followers before he's arrested and put on trial, wrongfully convicted, and then led to the cross to be crucified. So again, John 15, verse 1. It says this, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it'll be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it'll be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will remain in my love just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in His love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. So here's a picture of a vine. Uh, here's a picture of a mature vine that is bearing fruit or grapes, if you will. This is the picture that Jesus is using and. and, and a variety of a picture of Jesus is using um, as a visual for this section. The vine itself, the tree, has branches that bear the fruit. These branches are bearing the grapes. The vine receives nourishment from the sun and the rain. It soaks up through the roots um, into the vine that go into the branches. When we say vine, you can see that it's the trunk here. The branches then receive the nourishment they grow and become healthy and bear life. And we see that they are bearing life, showing life by the green, yes, leaves, but also by the fruit that it bears. This is what is seen tangibly in the vine. The fruit itself shows the life of the vine, of the branch, I mean. So why am I sharing all this? Why am I, why am I showing you this picture? Why are we talking about fruit and, and trees and vines? Well, if we're going to understand the passage, we must understand the imagery itself. Oftentimes, Jesus would talk and reference things that were common to those in his day. So that doesn't mean that scripture is outdated. No, no. Uh, but to get, to, to get the full meaning and the full truth of the passage, we must dig deeper than face value. We must dig deeply into it to bring about deep understanding. So as we draw from this text and we look at the image Jesus paints, I want to point to three things that Jesus describes in the visual of the vine. First thing, you are made clean. You have been grafted into the vine. 
In the photo, you'll see it says grafted union. This means that a branch that was not originally connected to the vine has been attached to it. It's been fused to it, connecting it to the vine or the trunk. So a branch that was once not attached to the nourishment and the life provided in the vine now is. This grafting represents us. We were, we were once separated from the vine. When we come to know Jesus and are saved, we become connected to the source of life in the vine. And the only way we can be connected to the vine of life is to become clean. Let's look at verse three. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Jesus was saying to his disciples and he's saying to us, we have been made clean because of the word Jesus has spoken about who he is. We have been saved and brought into union with the source of life because of Jesus. Us being made clean implies that we were at one point unclean. We were dirty. Because of our sin, we were unclean. Sin is our rebellion against God. Sin is us defining what right and wrong is. Our, our morality became corrupt. Sin is our abandonment of our creator God and choosing how we want to live. We were originally created to dwell and be in relationship with God in the beginning when he created us. But because we disobeyed God, we became unrighteous, unholy, unclean. We betrayed God. We committed crimes against God. We wronged God. And by doing so, we incurred guilt upon ourselves. So our perfect God had to remove us from his presence because he is holy, he is righteous, and he is good. He is light, and we are darkness. His ways are pure and good, and our ways are wrong and broken. Our guilt, our unrighteousness, our sin, put simply, is what made us dirty. I say all this to show us of what we have been cleansed of. Jesus is not saying to his disciples, they've been cleansed like externally, like they took a bath and they smell good and stuff. He's saying they have been cleansed of their broken, sinful motivations and desires in their very hearts. Those who love Jesus now see how their sin hurts themselves and others. To use court language, our crimes, our debts before a just judge have been paid in full by Jesus. This is what it means to be clean. This is what we've been cleansed of. And because we've been made clean, we are now able to enter into God's presence. Jesus has restored our relationship with our heavenly father. This is what it means to be connected to the source of life in the vine, to be able to be in the father's presence. So I just wanna pause real quick and ask you brothers and sisters, do you feel dirty? Do you feel ashamed of your past and sin? Do you feel like you gotta clean yourself up before you can come to church or read the Bible or talk to God? Do you feel like there's some cleaning you have to do in order to be a Christian? Remember that Jesus said, he has made you clean, made you clean. 
not by what you've done, but by who he is, you can be sure that his payment for you is in full. It cleanses you completely. Second, second thing I see in the passage. Uh, we're now able to bear fruit. So looking back at the photo, as the grafted branch is now connected to the source of nourishment, so we too are connected to Jesus. The branch, as it is nourished, comes alive. Again, it was once separated from the vine, but now it's made alive. And as it's coming to life, it starts to bear fruit. That's how you know it's alive. This reveals the true connection of the branch to the vine itself. And this is what Jesus is saying about himself um, when he talks in verses four and five. So let's look at four and five again. It says this, remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. You and I cannot save ourselves, nor can we be transformed to be more like Jesus by our own merits. But this is where we fall into the lie of the enemy that I presented in the beginning. This is the lie that we're prone to believe that we can change our hearts to be more like Jesus. God's not simply trying to get you to stop doing things and start doing new things. Uh, the temptation of our self-reliant heart is to say, again, okay, God, thanks for saving me. I'll start doing the Christian things. I'll start to do these things to try to please you. This posture does not reflect a heart that enjoys the gift of grace given to us. It does not enjoy the payments that were made fully for us that we couldn't pay for otherwise. There's no earning that we can do with God. There's no self-transformation that we can do. It is only by our effort, our actions from a heart posture of security in God, not a heart posture of earning and trying to get God. It means believing that Jesus has saved you fully and in light of that, in light of that full payment, following in his ways. So what is Jesus saying by remain in me as I also remain in you? What is he talking about when he says remain? In your copy of scripture, it might say abide. What is Jesus saying by remaining or abiding? To remain or to abide means to actively engage with and obey. Actively engage with and obey. To engage with. We engage with God the Father. That's how we remain in his love. It's not simply knowing that we have salvation. It's not simply knowing that we have a relationship with God, but it's actually engaging him with him in a relationship. It's communing with him. The definition of communing is to converse or talk together with, usually in profound intensity and intimacy. To grow in intimacy and love for our creator by constantly engaging with him because we can, and this takes effort on our part. So for example, you probably have a roommate um, or friends, right? 
you have probably learned that you can't have depth with them. You won't have depth with them unless you engage with them, unless you commune together. If you sit in the room together, you're not going to build a relationship together. It takes talking with one another, being honest with one another, spending time with one another, having experiences with one another, crying with one another, forgiving one another. Similarly, this is what it looks like to have relationship with God. Deepening and growing in intimacy with God by engaging with Him. The other piece, obeying. We were at one point blind to our sin and what that sin produced, the outcomes of our sin. In Jesus, now we see because our eyes have been opened. We now see the emptiness and brokenness in our ways. We also see the life and fulfillment in Jesus' ways. Let's look at verse 10 again. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I kept my Father's commands and remain in His love. Because our obedience is to Jesus, when we see the sin still in our lives from our old self, we repent. This is how we continue to remain in Christ. We are convicted of our sin. Conviction is the understanding of our guilty offense. Guilty because it's wrong before God, as well as the brokenness that it causes. In following Jesus, honestly, we'll be convicted often. And if that's the case, we'll be repenting often. And repenting simply means turning away. And believing is the completion of that turn by turning to God, walking in the truth. We turn away from our sin because we were convicted of it, knowing that it's wrong, seeing the brokenness it causes, And then we turn to Jesus walking in his ways and experiencing the life in doing so. So for example, uh, God, you, you outline and show me in your scriptures, in truth, that sex is made for a man and a woman who are covenantally bound in marriage. And sex is a gift that can only be enjoyed as it was designed to be in marriage. Anything outside of marriage is sexual sin. God, I repent of porn, masturbation, sex with others, lust by objectifying your creation and my thoughts, and believe that the gift of sex is to be enjoyed later in marriage. That's the only way it was meant to be enjoyed. Help me to believe that. God, help me to believe that. Align my heart's my heart to your desires, God. Personally, a personal example in my life, uh, when I came to know Jesus, I, I dealt with my problems with alcohol. I tried to fill the void, numb the issues in my life by consuming alcohol often. I would go to parties and really I was mostly there to drink. After coming to know Jesus and actually experiencing him as I followed him, it was like I felt convicted in a moment seeing God addressing my drunkenness, seeing that it was not producing the the life I thought it would. I would wake up Saturday and Sunday mornings feeling dry and empty in my heart and physically. And as I started to experience Jesus, he convicted me of that and then said, this is a better way. I have what will actually satisfy the, the aching in your heart. Come to me. He started to grow my desire for him and dim the desire to use alcohol to try to fill. In all this repenting and believing, 
there's one important big word that I want to place in here. And this word is grace. Grace. Grace is the unmerited favor given to us by God. To quote Ephesians 2, 8 through 9, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Grace is what has saved us, and grace is what sustains us. God's favor, His perfection, His holiness, His righteousness has been given to us by Jesus. So when we repent, we turn away, we receive the forgiveness and unmerited favor in grace, and we believe and we walk in the truth. We turn away from sin, are forgiven, and then turn to the ways that truly satisfy. So again, to sum this up, this is what it means to remain in Jesus, to engage with our creator and experience intimacy with him, to repent of the sinful ways and receive grace, and to believe by obeying, by walking in the ways of Jesus. That's what it means to remain. So you might be asking, well, okay, what happens when I remain? What will happen if I abide and follow Jesus in that? Let's look at verse five again. I'm the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Bear much fruit. When we experience intimacy with God, when we start to turn away from our sin and walk in the truth shown in God's word, we start to experience what actually fills our hearts. There is an ache in every human heart. There is a hunger and a thirst in our hearts, looking for what will quench it. We are all looking to the things of the world, the things that we thought could fill the void. And Jesus shows us that what we are actually longing for is a relationship with God himself. And as believers, when you start to actually commune with and follow God, you start to experience the filling. You start to experience what actually satisfies. The void is filled, the ache is healed, the hunger is met. And when this happens, you don't stay the same. You start to act more like Jesus from the inside out. And this is what's called bearing fruit. Specifically, the fruit looks like this, as it says in Galatians 5, 22 through 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, which is patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. We can't manifest these characteristics, or at least not all of them, by our own volition. Sure, we might be sacrificially loving sometimes, or patient sometimes, or somewhat kind, uh, but in Christ we experience these often and more and more. It says against such things there is no law. We don't, we don't uphold these characteristics by self-driven compulsion. We start to live these out as we experience God himself. We don't try, we, we walk out in these because we're being transformed and it starts to show in our actions. He changes our hearts. We start to exhibit more and more self-control. We start to love like Jesus did, which was sacrificially we start to experience sustaining peace, which surpasses all human understanding. Why? 
because our hearts that were once empty and dry now are filled and are overflowing. And the overflow is shown, it's seen in our actions. This is why Jesus says in verse 10, this is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. This is to my Father's glory, it brings God glory, that you bear much fruit, filling, experiencing, showing yourself to be my disciples, showing, showing and putting Jesus on display to the world. So if engaging with and obeying Jesus bears fruit, well then, well then what happens next? Will we bear more fruit? What about after that? Will we bear much fruit? That's why it says in verse two, it says he prunes us. This is the removal of things that get in the way of us experiencing God more. And the more we experience God, the more and more we will actually look more like Jesus from the inside out. And we'll never reach full Christ-likeness until we reach heaven, but we will continue to experience the endless satisfaction the more and more we remain in Christ by engaging with and obeying Him until He calls us home. Third thing I see in the text. The third thing that I want to point to is to the branches that don't bear fruit. So if the branches that are fully connected to the vine, to the trunk, receive nourishment and then bear fruit, well, then that means the opposite is true for the branches that look connected, but actually aren't bearing fruit. So let's look at the text again. Verse two, he says, he cuts, he cuts off every branch that bears no fruit. Verse four, no branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Verse five, apart from me, you can do nothing. Verse six, if you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown to the fire and burned. The reality is that those who do not know Jesus will not bear fruit. These dead and lifeless branches aren't internally connected to the source. They may look structurally connected, but they're not receiving the nourishment like the healthy branches are. They are dead and therefore need to be cut off. Not only that, but the dead branches cannot just be left on the ground to sit around. They can further attract insects and pests, which can hurt the other branches. And this is a representation of lifeless, unrepentant, sinful people whose hearts do not bear the fruit of the Spirit but rather bear the fruit of the flesh. These people are the religious people. These people are those who look and sound like believers, saying with their mouths one thing, but living something else. Internally, they are not actually experiencing Jesus. They're faking it. This is different from someone who is seeking and venturing into what it means to follow Jesus, but is very open about not knowing him. What I'm talking about are those who pretend and do not actually know God. They don't actually believe in Him. They don't actually love Him, and therefore they don't actually follow His ways. They're not actively repenting of their sin and believing in Christ's commands. They do the Christian things, but they live for themselves. And you can see this. This is seen in their character. This is seen in who they are. It's seen by the fruit that they exhibit. When they talk about Christ and the things that they know about him, it's in a prideful 
arrogant way, instead of a humble way that brings Christ glory. When they serve, they, do, they don't do so with gladness. They do so to fulfill a task and complain. When challenged about sin in their lives, they aren't open or looking to listen, but they're hardened and defensive all the time. Uh, a story of this, of a friend in, in Ellensburg, um, who was a, a friend who was a part of our church, and for two years, he, he did the Christian thing, basically. Grew up a Christian, lived his life, came to church, village, even read the Bible. Um, and it wasn't until the end of his, uh, his last year in the two years in Ellensburg, where he was met, he was confronted in his sin. He was 20, and he was drinking alcohol by himself, but he was saying, I, I, I do it by myself in, in the dorms. Nobody, nobody's affected by this. And challenged by a brother in his life, he said, that's against the law, and that's sinful. You dealing with your problems with alcohol is sinful. And the guy kind of disregarded it, and then thought about it, and then thought about and read through in the truth what it said. And then boom, he came to know Jesus. His eyes were opened to his sinful ways. He not only saw how that was sinful, but he saw his pride, his arrogance, his self-righteousness. It was evident, it was like day and night. That summer he did Project Summer, he started to experience Jesus deeply. Repenting of pride, showing and putting on display who Jesus is, sharing the good news. He was compelled and was living out the gospel because he was confronted in his sin. Praise God that he was confronted in his sin. Saw the truth. He saw the truth. So I want to ask, brothers and sisters, could this be you? Do you live a life on Saturday night that's different than a life on Sunday? Do you feel like you're putting up a front around Christians? Do you say one thing with your mouth, but do a different with your actions? Do a different thing in your actions? The reality is those that never turn away from their sinful ways and turn to Jesus will, as it says, be thrown into the fire and burned. Fire is a representation of final judgment and punishment. Those who do not place faith in Jesus receive the punishment deserved by all those who don't believe in him. They do not believe, accept and submit to Jesus as their Lord and Savior, and so therefore receive the rightful punishment. And this is God's wrath, which is complete separation from him in eternity. So heed the warning. And I would say this, I appeal to you, don't fake it. Don't pretend God offers life, forgiveness, and freedom. And it's better to be honest and experience God than to put on a front and to lead a lifeless, fruitless life. So in all this, you might be asking now, okay, I've heard all of that, but how do I practically remain? I understand, engage with, and obey, but like, how do I practically do that now? How do I actually abide? How do I experience God practically? How do I build upon this firm foundation in a practical way? Well, to follow Jesus' commands, we must know what they are. In order to know what they are, we must read his word. And this is the Bible. And to obey them, we must see the reasoning for why he says to follow him, the why behind what he's asking of us. And he's also asking us in the truth to see the faulty reasoning of the lies that the enemy says will lead to the life we've always wanted. So therefore, we must read the truth. We must read the scriptures. 
practically to experience God more and deeper, we must make time and space to speak to Him and sit with Him in His presence. We must, be, we must go to Him and be honest and give our worries to Him, give our thanks to Him. So simply put, we must talk to God. So therefore, we pray. So practically, we read, we pray. We must practically plan time to read His Word. We must practically plan time to engage with Him in prayer. We must think on the truth and not just look at it for face value, but really think about God. What's the why of sin? Why is this sinful? Okay, what's the why of truth? God, I see the truth. Help me walk in that. It's the interaction. It's the engagement with God in His Word and in prayer. That's how we practically walk out in remaining in Jesus. So I just want to say, if you're in the room and you feel lost or like unsure about the Bible um, or like how to pray, it feels awkward. I don't know what's going on in this book. I want to tell you that there are people in your congregation who would love to walk with you, who would love to show you how to pray, who would love to show you how to dig into the scriptures. And they'll do so without making you feel dumb. They want to show you how to engage with God as they engage with God. So to firmly address the lie, the temptation we face as Christians, I want to say this. We cannot be more like Jesus by our own strength. Put more simply, we cannot earn salvation, nor can we earn transformation. We only by putting full hope and trust in Jesus, repenting and believing and receiving grace and forgiveness over and over for our sin in our lives. Can we experience transformation? We were made clean and brought into connection with the source of life by the death and resurrection of Jesus. By no credit of our own are we made righteous before God. By no self-righteous acts are we able to experience the nourishment from the vine of Jesus. By no means can we bear fruit on our own. This is why Christ is the firm foundation. This is why following Jesus leads to the life you've always wanted. Because he offers a life of transformation and deep satisfaction. Let me pray for us. God, thank you for saving us. We could never be made righteous, be made holy, be made clean before you. We could not earn our way into your presence, Father. But by the grace shown in Jesus, by the power shown in the cross and in the resurrection, by the perfect payment made for us, God, we have life in you. We have relationship with you. So simply, I want to pray, God, for my brothers and sisters, Lord, and myself, that you would lead us, God, to grow in intimacy and love and obedience to you, God, from a place of security, not from a place of earning. There's nothing we could do, God, to earn you in the first place, and there's nothing that we can do, God, to earn transformation. So please lead us to walk from a secured relationship with you, God, and to experience you intimately, God, as we were meant to be. We love you, Jesus. We ask this in your mighty name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Resonate Church Sermon Podcast. If you are a college student in the Northwest, or if you simply want to see college students come to know Jesus, please connect with us by visiting Resonate.net.